They have worked for years to build historical landmarks in honor of the U.S. colored troops. Now descendants in both Nashville and Franklin hope to tell the full story of how these men served our country. News Channel 5's Levi is My name is Dr. Chris Williamson, and I am the founder and senior pastor of Strong Power Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Franklin, Tennessee is what is known as a civil war town. And because of that, there's a rich history of preservation in the city as far as battlefields, um, cemeteries, and things like that. So, um, tourism is huge. It's, it's uh, one way they see revenue come into the city. As far as people coming in for history buffs, civil war buffs, who um, go to the Carter House, the Carton Plantation, who view the statue in the center of town, which is uh, affectionately known as Chip, which has been there since 1899, put up uh, by the Daughters of the Confederacy. And so um, there's a rich history there. Reenactments go on there all the time. So, uh, but at the same time, there is a uh, contingency of people in the community who don't see the Civil War the way many of those people see the Civil War as something beloved and uh, something uh, even to honor heritage and to celebrate. There are many, and when I say uh, us, I'm speaking of um, mainly African-American people. There's a small group there. That number is uh, dwindling every year of African-Americans. A lot of it has to do with property values going up and lack of affordable housing, uh, but that number is getting smaller uh, but there's a group there that we see the Civil War as um, a war that was fought over slavery, a war that was won by the North. And we also recognize that the Daughters of the Confederacy were very crafty in how, when, and where they put up uh, these monuments throughout the South, Franklin included, as far as to support what the Confederacy stood for, which was white supremacy and to mark territory and to make a statement that although they lost the war, they're going to control uh, the South as it was being rebuilt after the war by way of reconstruction and even going into days of segregation. So through intimidation, violence, and, and symbolism, iconography, as far as the Confederate flag, those things would be uh, used to polarize uh, and even divide the community. Um, but because many of the voices of the African-Americans were not only minor as far as numerically, but also not really respected historically, these things um, would stay as normal and the perspective of others were not considered nor in included until uh, just about a month ago, we were able to put up the statue. Um, I digress by saying... Um, Back in 2017, really, if you go back to 2015, when Dylan Roof uh, went into Mother Emanuel Church and killed nine innocent black people, um, and he was doing it under the guise of white supremacy and even um, the, the, the waving of the Confederate flag, uh, when you look at his, uh, his personal social media accounts as far as what he stood for. So that led to a conversation and eventually um, the removing of the Confederate flag from the Capitol in South Carolina. Then two years later, when Charlottesville uh, basically uh, went
um, as far as uh, in national news with a, uh, I forget what it was called, but basically to um, protest the moving of a um, general peace statue in Charlottesville, Virginia. And so that led to um, um, a riot, also the death of a white lady named Heather Heyer. That also led to the president of the United States, Donald Trump. There were good people on both sides of that situation as far as um, the uh, racist protesters and the um, counter protesters. So um, so that caused us in Franklin to to get together two days later in the center of our square to pray, because we felt that if something like that happened in Charlottesville and, and, and things like this were going on all around the country as far as people pulling down statues and things like that. We knew that it could happen in Franklin, even though some people have a notion that it's so romantic and idealistic that no, it could never happen in Franklin, but yes, it could. So we got out as clergy and concerned citizens just to pray. And uh, then the media showed up um, as well as uh, sheriffs and police. I mean, it was a pretty big deal. And uh, one of the guys there that day was Pat Kevin Riggs, who's a friend of mine who uh, made a statement that the staff center of town needs to be relocated to a great yard or, or somewhere. Uh, and that caused him to receive death threats, um, really wasn't embraced at all. And so then a historian reached out to him the next day, Eric Jacobson of Battle of Franklin Trust, and said, hey, let, let, let's have a conversation. Uh, there may be something else we can do as pertains to statue and so as they began to talk kevin said we're comfortable just two white guys talking about this since this is something that involves black people in the black community here um i recommend that you call two of my friends who are black that happened to be me and uh reverend hewitt sawyers so um so eric spoke to each of us individually just basically saying what if we uh told stories that have not been told about the African experience before, during, and after the Civil War? What if we uh, told stories about local heroes and things that happened right here? Because if you we remove the statue, but you can't remove the history. And what makes Franklin a little different from other towns like Charlottesville is that um, Charlottesville statue of Robert E. Lee. And even in Nashville, in the state capital, there was a bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest. But in Franklin, it wasn't a specific person in the middle of town. It was someone who represents the Confederate soldiers who died in the Battle of Franklin. Um, so in other words, um, it was not as offensive to because it wasn't a specific person who uh, is known for various atrocities. So um, it's somewhat benign, if you will. So our focus went to what, as opposed to what we would try to take down. Because to try to take down the statue, those things are protected, especially in the state of Tennessee. Um, things have been baked into laws and systems to protect these kinds of things, the Heritage Act and 
on and on and on makes it nearly impossible. And then, you know, the, the legal ramblings you would get into the monies that you would have to get, you know, raised to do that. So we were like, let's be proactive. Let's do something in the meantime, because uh, again, if somebody wants to take that down, that's their business. But for us, our focus became what we can put up. So with the support of the mayor and the board of aldermen, unanimous support, they voted for the Fuller Story initiative, which was to put up five historical markers and a statue to a to the United States Colored Troop Soldiers. And so we were able to put up the five historical markers in 2019. And then, as I mentioned about a month ago, we were able to put up um, the statue of the United States Colored Soldiers. So those five markers, one speaks to the Battle of Franklin, one speaks to a, a market house that sold enslaved African men, women, and children right in the center of town in Franklin. And then uh, another marker spoke to Reconstruction. Another marker spoke to a riot that occurred along racial lines in Franklin in 1867, right there by Mellow Mushroom on the square. And then finally, there's a marker to the United States Colored Troop Soldiers in front of the second courthouse. And the second courthouse was the courthouse that the, the Union occupied during the Civil War um, when Franklin fell. And so the Union took over that courthouse and escaped slaves in the region. And uh, those who've been set free by the American Proclamation made their way to that courthouse in order to the army. So in one door as a slave came out as soldiers to be able to fight uh, and, 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 and uh, get enlisted in Nashville under the regiment of the United States Colored Troop Soldiers, which um, the, the statue represents the nearly 200,000 men who joined uh, the Federal Army and Navy. So yes, so uh, we raised the money for that project, for the marks and for the statue upwards of $160,000. And then we uh, found an African-American sculptor from Tennessee, and uh, he, he made this wonderful work of art for us. And, uh, and I believe it's really the only of its kind where it is placed uh, near City Hall on the town square. There are maybe, maybe 10 of these in the country, in the South, and uh, ours uniquely is uh, right there on the square in Franklin. So, yeah, so there you have it. That's the fuller story. And we've seen people, you know, reading the markers, um, taking pictures with the statue, which we also people said, how come our statue is not 30 feet in the air like the other statue? Well, number one, we didn't want to be like the other statue. Uh, number two, we wanted our statue down on eye level so that people could look into the eyes of this statue of this man see his personhood, see his dignity, see his, his, his valor and his value. Uh, we wanted people to take pictures with it. We wanted people to, to, to confront this history because Franklin, Bethany, uh, when I first arrived in 1993, there was this whole thing about the war was fought over states' rights. It wasn't fought over slavery. It was fought over states' rights. And the war wasn't fought over slavery because black people were in the Confederacy. And they would show me these pictures of uh, slaves working for the Confederacy. To which I would always say, but those guys did not have rifles. They had shovels, 
ladles, uh, things like that. They, they were in a domestic capacity for the Confederacy. Uh, whereas with the North, they were in soldier capacity. And so, so completely different things. So there's always been this desire to minimize, even redefine what the war was about. And so I'm grateful that the city leaders got behind us to help us tell the, the truth, help us tell the story. And, uh, and they faced, you know, some resistance from their constituents in their various regions. But I'm glad that they had enough conviction at the end of it to vote for this project unanimously. Well, the church should always be on the side of truth. All truth is God's truth, objective truth, not just biblical truth, scientific truth, uh, medical truth, but also historical truth. Um, we have to be people who tell the truth. Uh, but unfortunately, the church, especially here in the South, is not interested in telling the truth. They're interested in telling a narrative, uh, a lost cause narrative, which was also developed by the Daughters of the Confederacy after the Civil War again, to minimize the sin of slavery in the country and even the, 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 the ramifications of slavery by way of systemic injustice that still exists today. Um, and the church, unfortunately, many of the, uh, when I say the church, I'm speaking in general terms, uh, does not want to speak the truth. And because of that, even, um, we have people saying that anyone who speaks the truth is uh, being polarizing or they're trying to um, cast blame and shame on all white people. Thus, you have this uh, uh, combative nature against critical race theory. Um, uh, you know, so, so the church, unfortunately, has been complicit um, since slavery. And the church, is, by and large, the evangelical church, white evangelical church is still complicit today as pertains to uh, injustice and institutional racism. So, uh, but God has always had a witness as he had in the days of Elijah. He says, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so even uh, to this day, God has witnesses. He has lighthouses. He has a remnant who will not bow the knee to, to sin, degradation, uh, unjust scales. Um, and there are few of us, but Hey, you know, we'll be voice crying in the wilderness uh, about things that are not right and what needs to be undone and repaired in the country. So um, with strides like this, th th this can be a launching pad into other things because our voice was heard on this. Sons of Confederate veterans and the daughters of the Confederacy did not want us doing what we did. Uh, over this over these past four years because they did not want the truth to come out and i always wonder what churches do these people go to they obviously go to churches where those uh, uh th their prejudices are massaged and uh uh they, they, those things are accepted and so there's there are biases and slants concerning what again truth is historical truth biblical truth uh but again th there's nothing new under the sun the New York Times article mentions that you moved on from pushing for the Confederate statues removal. 
Do you think erecting a statue that commemorates new narratives of the Black experience is an alternative to removing Confederate statues or other monuments that are argued to honor racism? There are statues that need to come down, especially statues that glorify individuals who made their um, uh, who, who made their mark on life by enslaving and even butchering people of color and even indigenous people. Um, those need to come down uh, of those various people. And in this country, there are over 700 statues of a Confederate nature, over 700, and that doesn't include memorials, but over 700 statues. And, uh, and as I mentioned, there are probably 10 of United States Colored Troop Soldiers and maybe 300 of um, Union Soldiers. So we see the proliferation is towards the Confederacy. And so many of those statues, if not all of those statues at some point should come down and, re and remove to a museum, move to a museum, again, move to um, cemeteries, those kinds of things. They should not have places of prominence in town. And so I believe even in Franklin, there may be a group of people that will rise up and say, let's remove Chip from the center of town. Again, we're not trying to remove the history, but we may remove him and replace him with something that speaks um, to the unity in our community. Um, there, there may be a way to do that. That just wasn't our assignment with the fuller story. So yeah, I, I believe that many of them, if not all of them, should come down at some point because they were placed there strategically after uh, the Civil War and right at the turn of the 20th century, they were placed again to, um, to, to mark territory of white supremacy and to say that although we lost the war, we're going to win the narrative how that war is told. And it's also going to mark out in communities where black people can and cannot come. And then you see a resurgence of these statues come up in the 50s as the civil rights movement is making progress. So there was this kickback, this white kickback of, uh, okay, we're gonna put up more Confederate flags. We're gonna put up more statues in the 50s. So, so there's a reason why and where they were put up. And I think again, historically, we gotta be truth and honest with that. And the church should lead the way because the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter three, that the church is to be the pillar and foundation of truth. The church should be, but often the church is in bed with racism and the church benefits from racism. So, um, but again, God always has a witness. And it was an emotional day uh, in a beautiful way. It, it, it was a sacred moment. Um, we, we had singers out there um, singing Negro, Negro spirituals. Um, we had prayer. It, it was phenomenal. There was a lot of tears, including mine. I think that pictured me crying in the New York Times. But it was. Um, it was it was history. And uh, again, for the first time since the city's founding in 1799, that there was representation of Black people 
put on the square. Representation is so important. And, uh, you know, Chip has been there for, what, 120 plus years alone. And now this statue has been put up. And it's, again, a reminder of who won that war. And so <laughs> when we were doing the ceremony, our backs were towards Chip and our face was towards the United States Colored Troop Soldier. And there's great symbolism in that. That again, our, we're not worrying about Chip. Chip lost. And, and, and we, we feel bad for the human beings who died in that war because we, we love life in everyone. Everyone made in the, is made in the image of God. We don't make light of life that is lost. So on one hand, we honor the dead, even if they fought for a cause that was not right. But we focus on those who did die for justice and uh, unity and on and on and on. So uh, it was a powerful day. The community came out. It was a mixed crowd. Um, I don't know how many people were there, but I will say hundreds were there. Looks like a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, it's something I can say to my kids that, uh, you know, I had a small part to play in, in just changing the trajectory a little bit, moving the needle a little bit. Um, and, and we wanted people to see black men in a different light um, because the media today doesn't always present black in a positive light. Um, and even coming again out or, or in slavery and out of slavery, the images and the things that portrayed us either made us look like buffoons or made us look like we're, we're perpetually violent, um, overly sexed drug dealers or, you know, thugs that uh, we wanted to, at least in this moment, control that narrative and representation to say, no, we fought for this country when we weren't even citizens. Because when those black soldiers joined that army, they weren't citizens, but they fought for the country that they helped build against their will. Um, and there were no guarantees of what they would get coming out of it. And many of them were even killed uh, once the war was over because they did not really promote the fact that they fought for the North and won the war because there was still, uh, there was still a lot of hostility from the losers, from, from the Southerners who lost. Uh, and once those people found out that those guys were soldiers and things like that, again, they were killed. So they laid a lot on the line for the country and for the nearly 3 million enslaved Africans in the country um, for them to, to go free. So that story is not told nearly enough. So I hope this is the beginning of um, acknowledging what these men did for themselves as well as for their people. I was conditioned to see that Confederate statue. I was conditioned when I came into the courthouse here with colored water fountains, colored bathrooms. But as we look at the fuller story, the markers that are out here, people are getting to see those markers and read those markers and understand what history is all about. 
it's such an honor for me to have had the opportunity to create this piece. It was an emotional piece because I'm knowing what it, what it stands for. I just want to say to you, thank you so much, Fuller Story, for the opportunity of, and for choosing me to do this. They're going to pull back the veil. Our future is going to pull back the veil. All right. Get ready, folks. Here we go. Three, two, one. March to freedom. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is a part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow